Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down Manchester United's 3-1 win over Newcastle United in the league. Marcus Rashford opened the scoring in the 30th minute, but Sam Maximin equalized in the 36th. Daniel James gave United the lead again in the 57th before Bruno Fernandes sealed the match with a 75th minute penalty. Carl, this was a very slow start and a very flat performance in the first half, but in the end, United come away with an important three points, especially considering Leicester and West Ham got big wins for themselves. It's crazy how you just mentioned Leicester and West Ham, and not <laughs> the usual suspects of Chelsea, Liverpool, but uh, no, you're right, Vivek. You know what? It's it's days like today where I'm I'm really proud to be a Manchester United fan. Yeah, of course we got the three points, but just seeing you know the likes of Shola getting his first game for the club as a 17 year old, it's it's a really proud moment, and I I love the the tradition that United has of bringing up some of their prospects through the first team, and so I I was really happy for that moment. Also happy for Dan James who you know, in his press conference, admitted that he he needed to find himself again. So, you know, all of these things put together, just proud to to support such a great team. Yeah, and it's back-to-back, right? We saw Diallo for a little bit in the last match. Now we get to see Shola Shoratire. So, very positive signs. That's a tradition that United has maintained, and you would expect that under someone like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Looking at the match, the tactics, it looks it looked like... Newcastle came up with a diamond formation in a sort of 4-1-2-1-2. Obviously, Steve Bruce said ahead of the match that Newcastle were going to have to defend very well to get anything out of this, and you could see that was sort of their intent. United, as expected, 4-2-3-1, but did it disappoint you at all? I mean, we look at the changes you had, obviously, David De Gea coming in for Dean Henderson, Luke Shaw in the side for Alex Tellez. Victor Lindelof in for Eric Bailly, Nemanja Matic for Scott McTominay, and Anthony Marshall in for Mason Greenwood. Did it surprise you at all that Solskjaer went a bit more defensive with both Fred and Matic as the central defensive midfielders? No, it didn't surprise me. Just because Ole did the exact same thing against West Brom, and I think I got most of my frustrations out of that game. So to see it again, I just have kind of accepted it. I don't think he needs to do that. And that showed in the first half with our tempo and lack of intent moving forward. Ole clearly mentioned it as well in his post-match interview where he said the first half we just didn't have the tempo and we had to make some slight adjustments at halftime, getting players into their right positions to receive the ball. And you could see there was clearly a difference in, in how they operated in the second half. I was very surprised with how much Newcastle pressed. They actually pressed us pretty high up the pitch, I would say, for the first 20 minutes. And they definitely had the better start out of both teams. And they even got, you know, a few corners before we were even on the board. So I was I was definitely surprised by that. I think probably Fulham's result maybe motivated Newcastle a little bit that they need to get the three points so they cannot just sit back. And you know what? The game was a very slow burn for most of the first half until that moment of magic from Marcus Rashford, where he he really took craft to town with his nutmeg and then 
you know, cut inside and bang into the near post. What do you think of that goal, Vivek? Yeah, I mean, it looked like United were going to need something special to score because you mentioned those opening 20 minutes and United, I can't think of a single chance of note. I can't think of anything that was even remotely threatening in those opening 20 minutes. Newcastle, as you said, you mentioned the, the press, the high press. They caused a blunder from David De Gea in the 10th minute where as United were trying to pass it out of the back, David De Gea hits a terrible clearance. and Allison Lake? Uh, yeah. I mean, we've wanted De Gea to improve and find some of those Allison traits, but he's been watching the wrong Allison. He's been watching the very recent Allison. <laughs> <laughs> and so fortunate that John Joe Shelby fired over the bar. I thought, you know, there was a corner early that came as well for Newcastle where David De Gea... You know, John Joe Shelby mishits the cross. It's up in the air for a long time. He waits on it, and he gets a good punch on it. And then I I genuinely thought he got foul, and he's down on the ground, and he gets up just in time because the shot comes in after, and he's able to tip it over the bar, and Newcastle get a corner. But I think that's a situation where if he actually doesn't make the save, that's a huge controversial moment because he was fouled. Yep. That that should that should have just been a free kick for United and no corner. I mean, even if Newcastle score off that corner, it's still controversial. I'm surprised that not more was said about that because clearly, like De Gea tripped and he was able to get up and make that save. So that was an interesting one for sure. And then yeah, we go back to the goal. United again just it didn't look creative at all. Special moment of brilliance from Marcus Rashford, basically megging. Craft twice <laughs> uh, with the deke and then the shot right through his legs. Darlow, I mean, I don't know how much better he could have done at the near post. I thought it was a really good shot. It was just one of those where, you know, especially with someone like Rashford who could look to curl it around to the far post, you've got to be wary of that threat. So I didn't think positionally he was necessarily in a bad spot. And I think you just have to credit Rashford there you know, the power that he was able to get on it. Yeah, the power and placement, I think, just made that goal what it was. And yeah, you know what? Keepers always get criticized for letting a goal through at their near post. But I I think this would be unfair criticism on the goalkeeper Mm -hmm. in this instance. I almost feel like commentary should just make it a regulation to have a third person that is a goalkeeper. Because I think all too often you have outfield players who are describing all these moments and I don't think they genuinely can appreciate how difficult a goalkeeper's job is or everything that comes into it and so they like you said they get criticized far too often now when you look ahead to what came after that 36th minute cross comes in Harry Maguire it's a poor clearance and Sam Maximilian I thought that was great technique I don't know if he fully intended to hit it down into the ground because it goes off the ground and then it picks up that height on it. But because of the technique he used, it had a lot of pace on the ball. And I think that's what caught David De Gea off guard. A lot of people will place blame on Harry Maguire for his clearance. But this is where I am critical of David De Gea. And to me, this is a pattern that is emerging where opponents are confident, they have no doubt in their mind 
that David De Gea is going to stay on his line and not come out for the ball. So they have no fear in sending crosses in. And this is something that was close enough to the six-yard box where I think even if David De Gea is standing close enough there, where you think about where, again, the cross came from, off a corner, they reset, it's further outside. There's every reason for him to just push up a little bit. And I think that can even deter the cross. We saw against WBA where the cross came in and, you know, that one, we we made more of a point about Lindelof getting bullied. But again, I think if David De Gea is just out a little bit in that situation, it deters the cross. So I think teams are recognizing this weakness in his game that he doesn't want to come out for these crosses. And then from there on, they're saying, hey, we'll take our chances going up against whether it be Harry Maguire or Victor Lindelof. Any fault on De Gea for the actual saving or not saving of the shot? A little bit, because I would say if he's not going to come out, then he's absolutely got to be 100% prepared and ready for shots to come at him. And so that's where it shouldn't catch him off guard the way it looked like it did. So I look at that play and I definitely would place more blame with David De Gea than Harry Maguire. I don't know about you. So I I see it differently. I I think Maguire could have just done better with that header. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of places he could have headed it. He could have headed it out for a corner. Yep. He could have got a glancing header that took it behind. He could have headed it back from where it came from. But no, he decided to head it in the one area where all the players were concentrated. Yeah, if you're being super critical, you can say our players should have closed down St. Maximum. But he took the shot so quickly on first time. He didn't take a touch or anything. Yep. So to try and say we should have closed it down, that's a little harsh. But... I just think he should have done better with the header and we wouldn't even be talking about any of this right now because it wouldn't have been a goal. So I, I do agree with you on the positioning, which we're definitely starting to see a lot of where De Gea just likes to stand on his line. It's almost like he feels he needs a visa to cross you know, the six-yard box or something because he does not want to get out of there at all. It's, I think to me, if I'm being honest, it's a little bit of fear of failure and it's a little bit selfish where, you know, again, we now when you watch the replays and things like this, everyone is focused on Maguire. You look at uh, the WBA game, everyone is focused on Lindelof. If he comes out and makes a slight mistake, guess what? The focus is going to be on him. But yeah. realistically, you know, when we talk about defending in the box and all the things that defenders can do in terms of prevention being better than cure... And, you know, bodying up and preventing strikers getting on top of you and things like that. David De Gea, in terms of prevention being better than cure, if he shows a little bit more and is willing to come out more, some of these crosses I don't think will even come in. Now, going into the second half, I found the first half very disappointing from an attacking front. I wanted to see changes right away. I thought Anthony Marshall, once again, was poor, just not offering enough in terms of his movement, not offering in enough in terms of his toughness and a lot of that you know just getting caught flat-footed and I thought he would he should have come off at halftime I thought Mason Greenwood with the form that we've seen him in I thought that was a no-brainer substitution and I thought I wanted to see a bit more creativity as well I think when you have the combination of Fred 
and Matic and Marshall all together on the pitch at the same time, that is just asking for your creativity to just be strangled out of the game. And so I was hoping that Mata would have come on uh, if, to help that as well. None of that happened. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised because Solskjaer has made a habit of keeping faith in his players at least till the 60th minute and then looking to make changes. But 57th minute, Daniel James come through with a goal. The sub that I was crying out for was to replace one of our CDMs, uh, whether it was Fred or Matic. The number of times that Fred misplaced his passes in the first half, trying to get something going was extremely sloppy. We just needed to inject a little bit more creativity. And, you know, I was in favor of Mata coming on for one of Fred or Matic. Now, saying all of that, the second goal actually was created by Matic, (laughs) uh, which is ironic to say the least. He was aiming for Bruno. It was a misplaced pass because it wasn't anywhere near Bruno. Bruno managed to get his toenail on the ball, which put it into the path of Daniel James. And he finished that really, really well because those are the ones where you can... That was a really smart finish. You can blast it way over the bar. Uh, Just ask Anthony Martial. Um, And he placed that into the net quite nicely. And you know what? We really needed that goal because the longer that second half went... Newcastle would have gained in confidence and guess what they would have tried to they would try to nick it towards the end of the game knowing that they need the three points so getting that with a large majority of the second half to play was was critical and I think it completely changed the way the game went from there on in United played with a lot less pressure they were able to express themselves a, a lot more I was crying out for Anthony Martial to just try something a little differently because what he kept doing was he took that number nine position to heart where he just completely played with his back to goal. And all he was doing was play those wall passes. They would play it into him. He would play it back and move. Play it into him, play it back. So it's very predictable of what he's going to do. And defenders know that. And the defenders were playing him tight. And usually when they're playing you tight and you got a good first touch, I was really hoping that Martial would just turn a defender. Just do it once because now you put that seed of doubt in their head. And he actually did it later on in the second half. And he he had a nice run into the goal and had a nice shot, which was saved. But I'm just hoping that that little move there gave him a little bit of confidence to show that he's capable of doing this. And he doesn't need to do just the standard things because he's doing just the bare minimum, in my opinion. I'm really hoping he can kick on from that. So Carl, a couple of things there. With Marshall, the one thing I will add that I wanted to see him try differently was even if he's going to receive that pass and not turn, what does Cavani do so well? It will be one touch, boom, and he's off. Or if he's taking touches, he will actually move deeper with the ball so he's pulling the defender away and then he'll dart back in. Mm -hmm. In this situation, Marshall's receiving the ball and he's sort of just probing, looking to see what's there. And the defenders can take their time. They're not being challenged to move, nothing like that. And so, again, I'm looking at that and saying, okay, he, he's actually not learning from Cavani. I, th- I think it's, I don't know if it's learning or just a complete confidence issue there where he just does not want to try anything out of the ordinary because if he's taking the safe option, you can't fault him for it. Mm-hmm. And 
I would love to be a fly on the wall of the dressing room to find out what Ole is saying to Martial because we seem to be seeing a lot of the same and he's still getting those starts. He's still getting those games. So I guess Ole must be seeing something in training that we aren't because it's the same, same, same old. Yeah. I mean, at, at the minute, it's a bit of a tough situation for Ole, right? Because Cavani's injured, Donny van de Beek's injured. So his hands are tied in that regard. And the other thing I just wanted to quickly touch on was just getting back to Daniel James's finish and how difficult it was. He's hitting it with the laces a bit outside of the foot, and that's what gets it to curl that bit away from Darlow. How many times do we see a player receive the ball on that side and go to the far post? And that's a tough shot. And so I initially expected him to do that. And so when I saw him hit it and find the back of the net in that near post corner, I was really impressed. And we talk about confidence. It speaks to the confidence he's playing with right now because against Sociedad as well, he looked really, really good. And That's five goals in nine games, right? Yep. And the other thing we talk about all the time is competition for places. You can't help but feel with the way Mason Greenwood has leveled up his game, the way Greenwood is offering so much defensively now as well. You see the way Greenwood is tracking back. James, that is something that he has been known to do. But in this match, I thought he really did a good job of tracking back, helping Juan Bissaka out defensively. So full marks to him uh, emerging out of the abyss, so to speak, and making him... uh, a real name to consider, especially in these matchups that can be beneficial to him. I do think he is still very much a matchup-specific player. We saw what he could do against a team like Leeds United. We saw against Real Sociedad that was in, inviting the counter. Now we see you know, not so much happening for him in the first half with United lacking that spark. But the second half, again, as United's confidence became more of a factor, he, he really impacted the game. I guess we could move on to the the third goal. Once again, it was uh, some twinkle toes from Rashford. Did you think it was a, a penalty? The the game today, yeah. The game today, I uh, I look at that replay and I'm like, yeah, that's getting called. You know, it. You can definitely look in the past and say it's a bit soft and go the other way, but the game today, I'm expecting that to be called nine times out of ten. So I wasn't surprised. Bit of trickery is all you need. Rashford, I think, has become very smart as well and adept at picking up those fouls. He's talked in the past about how Mourinho had taught some of those things. And they've clearly picked up on it. I mean, there was a player earlier in the first half as well where he had megged the defender and gone through. And then when the helped defender came in, he thought a challenge was coming in, and so he tried to get his body in his way to pick up the foul, but no challenge came, and the ball just goes out of the uh, out of play for a goal kick. So you could see that's definitely a part of his approach. And hey, if it gets Bruno to the spot, you always want it because automatic as anyone. <laughs> yeah, commentator made a good point. The only time his penalty has been saved was by Carl Darlow uh, in the the reverse fixture. So mm-hmm. Bruno put that away with a plum. You know what I, I was very impressed with Rashford, especially on this move, was that he actually shifted the ball onto his left-hand side, something that we've been asking him to do. And the fact that he had the confidence to shift it because the next step would have either been to shoot or cross. And so the fact that he put it onto his left was very promising for me. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a great point you bring up. It's so important for him to do that. And you can see that's essentially what earned him uh, that step on the defender. I think we can move on to the awards now, unless there's something that you'd like to touch on. Looking at the Cantona caller, I think Marcus Rashford is probably the biggest candidate, although Daniel James is definitely in with a fair shout. Which way would you lean? Marcus Rashford for me, just because we needed that spark, that moment of magic to get us going. And Rashford was the one who grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck and took it on. If it wasn't for that, I could have easily seen that first half dwindle into nothing or probably we're down 1-0 for that. And then again, you know, just getting that third goal is super important. He did it twice in this game and he was a live wire the whole game. He was he was megging defenders for fun. I think for all of those reasons, Marcus is is my Cantona caller. Yeah, I'm with you. I can't argue against it at all. I thought these are matches that we've seen from United in this uh, in the past where there's nothing really happening and for him to provide that moment of magic that sort of brings the match into life was great and as you said to have that killer goal after that i think that's one thing that is encouraging me as well when united get that second goal that third goal get that bit of separation we don't see them sitting back and trying to protect it anymore we saw shades of it against southampton I say shades just because it was pretty lopsided in their favor. Uh, but we saw it against Real Sociedad where they kept pushing for goals and mm-hmm. trying for more. And now again, you see, you see it against Newcastle. So that is something that is very encouraging for me. No debate there. Do you have a Beckham boot for anyone, either side of the equation? For me, my candidates for Beckham boot would be Fred and probably Harry Maguire just for the mistake. So those were the two. I mean, Maguire, it was the one mistake. Apart from that, I thought he was fine. I was just very frustrated with the the way Fred played because he was extremely sloppy in possession. And these are the moments in the game where when it's nil-nil after 20 minutes and you're looking to take it to the next level, you really need your you know, midfielders to to keep possession and to unlock, be patient. In the earlier game with Man City playing Arsenal, you saw Fernandinho, the way he was able to control that game and make sure he made it tick, made the tempo keep going. That's why it's so important. And Fred wasn't able to do that. And this is, I think, the next step for him in his career at United. He's now taken that step. He's a regular starter. He's important to the first team. But now I think he needs to go that little bit extra where he's not just the guy intercepting, but he's the guy who's also able to dictate play. And so he wasn't able to do that this game. It was Newcastle who don't have the strongest midfield. And for that reason, I want to give him the Beckham boot. I I think you're two for two, Carl. I think when I look at his performance, part of why I'm discouraged is because if I'm Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and I look at some of the passes that Fred was making against Real Sociedad, that's part of what is giving me confidence to play Fred and Matic and say, okay, Fred, Carry on. Let's see more of that. Let's see you yeah. build on that performance. Absolutely. And, and so for him to completely revert back to where you can't really expect anything out of him from an offensive standpoint. And as you said, you know, just, just a bit uh, scattered across the pitch today. I, I think it's a fair shout to give him the Beckham boot. Carl, the last time we were together on the podcast, uh, I went three for three. Let's see if you can go three for three now. Who's your noisy neighbor? 
Well, Saint Maximan was he was a live wire man. That guy was all over the show. He was he I mean Aaron Wan Basaka is a good defender and I thought he did a great job muffling him and Dan James together. They they never let him out of their sight and they double teamed him. He was still able to get a goal and he also created another shot early in the second half. So I thought he was a dangerous, dangerous uh, opponent for us today. There you go, man. Three for three. I, I I got no arguments again because I think if there was anyone that would threaten that, it would probably be Almiron. I thought he had a really strong start to the match. Mm-hmm. But I thought especially after St. Maximin got that first goal, he his confidence just went to another level and he just kept coming for more. Uh, he forced a sharp save out of David De Gea in the 50th minute as well. And that was a situation where, thankfully, even though it was a sharp, rasping shot, it was it was, it was, was only the height that De Gea had to deal with. He didn't really have to move side to side. If, it, if, it, if he picks a corner, that's a much more difficult proposition for him. And then other than that, as you said, just constantly a threat, something that United really had to be aware of and definitely needed the double teams and even even if it wasn't Daniel James you could see one of the central defenders always sh- shading over to make sure that the help was ready so yeah I think fair shout noisy neighbor Sam Maximin moving on to the next fixture for United this is probably as relaxed a preview as we will do Feb 25th against Real Sociedad you're already up 4-0 on aggregate, I think this is a huge opportunity to rest the main guys and get a look in at some of the youngsters. What are your expectations coming into this match? Yeah, this is an interesting one because you're so tempted to just rest everybody for this and get them some energy back because I think we're playing Chelsea in the league next, yeah. which is which is a big game. So you mm-hmm. definitely want to have your your main men ready to go for that one. And the last thing you want to see is someone like a Bruno or someone pull a muscle or something in this match, right? Exactly. So, but at the same time, you, you got to respect the opponent and, you know, there's been comebacks before, so you can't completely, you know, put in a B squad. So no, I feel like, you know, Ole is still going to play Harry Maguire in the team. The guys doesn't seem to get a rest whatsoever. Yeah. But uh, I would like to see, you know, the, the fullbacks like Shaw and, uh, Aaron Juan Bissaka get a rest. Uh, so if we're going through the lineup, obviously Henderson's coming back in net. He did a good job. Uh, he's very vocal, as we know. And then you've, I would go with Axel, Bai, Maguire, and Tellez at the back. I think Tellez also did a good job when he last played them. Instrumental in that first goal as well. Uh, and then in, in midfield, I think Ole is still going to go with his 4 2 3 1 because it worked out well. Uh, Scott's injured and in the pregame for the Newcastle match he said that uh, Scott might not make it back for Thursday and he's more likely to make it back for Sunday against Mm -hmm. Chelsea so keeping that in mind I won't be surprised if you're seeing Fred and Matic again what do you think yeah I lean that way as well I would not be surprised for that to be the combination the one thing just going back defensively I actually would not be surprised if Lindelof gets the start, just because I would like to keep one eye on Chelsea, and I do think Bailly is the better central defender to have for that match. And so I don't think it's reasonable to play Bailly Thursday and then Sunday again. Although 
you know, we did see that stretch where he played those four or five matches in a row in a short span, but then obviously he was out injured after that. So who is your right back? Right back, I'm with you, uh, Twan Zebe. Twan Zebe at right back. Uh, and so I would not mind seeing uh, Lindelof at, at center back, keeping an eye out for Sunday against Chelsea and preferring Bailly for that match. Yeah, uh, Fred and Matic very much uh, will look like the duo to go with in the return fixture. I'd like to hope that Donny van de Beek is back fit and ready. And then that way you can just directly slot him in for Bruno and let him command that number 10 position. Cavani, again, I am leaning towards getting him rest so that he is 100% fit for Chelsea. So I would just go ahead and play Martial and get him a game. Who's your wingers? Greenwood, I think, got rested in this one so that he can play the Europa. So I would imagine uh, he will be on the right side. But I'm going with Ahmad Diallo on the left. Uh, yeah, that's that's who I had as well. I had Mason and Diallo. It'll be interesting to see because Diallo is a left-footed player. So Yeah, he him, definitely prefers the right side. Yeah. So I don't know if it would be out of question to have Marshall on the left, Greenwood central, and then Diallo on the right. That that definitely would have a better balance to the squad. Yeah. But I'm agree. I, I agree with you. I think that will be. And if Donny Van de Beek is not fit, I could easily see Mata slotting in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you on that one as well. So you know, again, get get the rest. Get get. Make sure you're 100% ready for Chelsea because this is, uh, frankly, for me, an opportunity to put a nail in the coffin. Right. And when a team is chasing you like that, it's effectively a six pointer. If you can get the three points. And a team that's on the outside looking in for the top four. If you can beat them, it's a big statement to make. Uh, again, no disrespect for, to Real Sociedad, but 4-0 up at home. The players that we've mentioned, there's no reason why you cannot expect them to, let alone avoid losing 4-0 or 5-0, win on their home turf. Absolutely. So let's see. And you know... Once again, not to look too far ahead, but we saw what happened with Chelsea during the week where they just passed, where they tied Southampton. But there seems to be a little bit of uh, disharmony. You you saw Callum Hudson-Odoi come on as a halftime substitute and then get substituted after 25 minutes mm-hmm. with Thomas Tuchel not uh, pulling any punches. He called him out and he said, I was looking for a certain level and I didn't see it. So. Yeah. Chelsea players in the past have had a tendency to have a lot of player power. We'll see how that plays out with the coach after his comments, but uh, yeah. keep an eye on that one. Carl, one question I do have for you, because this is something that Michael Singh and I talked about on the last episode, but didn't get a chance to have the conversation with you. And I'm curious because it's a Europa League specific question. Real Sociedad, obviously hard done by the fact that they could not play their home fixture at home. They had to play in Turin. Do you think they should still factor in away goals in these situations where their home team cannot play a home fixture? Absolutely not. I've Yeah. I just I just don't understand this like you you're literally following a rule for the sake of following it even though it doesn't make any sense. I mm-hmm. I thought about this and I'm like the whole point of this away goals rule is because of the crowd and maybe the dimensions of the pitch. 
Well, you've taken out both elements. They're <laughs> yeah. literally just playing on neutral ground. So yeah. if anything, United shouldn't be allowed to play at home and they should be playing on neutral ground as well. And you take away the away goals, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm with you. Is that is that what your, your point of view was as well? Yeah, 100%. I was 100% of that point of view. It, it didn't make any sense to me at all. And so I do think Sociedad are hard done by in that regard. But their performance wasn't anywhere near up to scratch. And they were nowhere near United on the pitch. So home home and away aside, United were definitely well worth the 4-0 win. And now, considering that they're down 4-0, they're going to have to attack, which means they're going to leave themselves up open for the counter, which is going to play into United's hands. I mean, this is what they did in the, the first leg, to be honest with you, so... Uh, we'll see what changes the coach makes. I mean, he's got a good squad of players, so I think their defensive mids really have to put in a shift to have a chance, so we'll see what happens. That just about wraps it up for this one. I just want to give a quick shout-out to Aaron Juan Bissaka, his 100th Premier League appearance in this win over Newcastle. And, you know, you think about the strides that he's taken as an individual, his level at Crystal Palace his improvements over his time at United. I think we've seen enough to this point to believe that he can become one of the best two-way right-backs in the league. Uh, I think the defensive side, no one has had any questions about. We know what he can do on that side of the ball. But from an attacking standpoint, especially over the last couple of months, uh, there's a lot to be encouraged by. Definitely. He's made some fantastic strides. No pun intended. And I think his learning agility is high. And he's a player that wants to to get to the top of top echelons. And I'm sure he wants to make it into the England team. He's probably <laughs> taking it as a bit of an insult that he's not in the squad, given that he is England's best defensive right back. Yeah, yeah. But that that is a stacked position for England, right? You got Trent Alexander Arnold, you've got uh, Kyle, Kyle Walker. Walker, yeah, you've got Matty Cash now making a name for himself. So that 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 is an impressive position for England. And you know, hey, if that international competition can get Aaron Juan Bissaka to an even higher level, I'm all for it. That's gonna wrap it up for this one. Thank you for joining us. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Red Couch Manx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Give us some reviews, ratings. Hit us up on social. We appreciate it all. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.